0: Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. Hey, we're going to kick off this new series called Hashtag No Filter. Uh, may not be what you think it's going to be, but um, I hope it'll mean something to you. I hope that you'll be able to learn some real truth from God's word, and you'll be able to feel some real grace from God's heart to yours. But about 10 years ago, there was a um, ad campaign that Dove, you guys know Dove, like they make soap and shampoo and stuff like that, Johnny. It's kind of girl stuff a lot of times, but you know what I'm talking about. And so uh, they make, so about 10 years ago, they came out with this new ad campaign where they were going to put out these series of commercials um, to try and help people like Think, think better of themselves. You know what I mean? Particularly like that women would look at themselves in the mirror and kind of see a more beautiful version of themselves than they think they see, right? And uh, the very first commercial that they put out um, along this series, and they've been doing that now like ever since really for about 10 years, was one about uh, a sketch artist. I want to share that commercial with you. It's about three minutes, but let me share it with you and then we'll talk a little, little bit more. So it'll be on the screen for you. And I guess the question I would ask is, what if what you see when you look in the mirror isn't the real you? What if the you you think you are is actually different than the real you? And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes people see us in a better light than we see ourselves. Sometimes people see us in a worse light than we see ourselves. Sometimes people put all kinds of labels on us and all kinds of names for us, and we start to buy into those. This week I was um, out around town and I ran into some people. You ever run into some people like you recognize them, but you can't remember like how you know them? Or, uh, uh, like, where you met them before. You definitely can't remember their names, so you're kind of hoping, like, they they don't say anything to you because you're going to be embarrassed. You can't quite remember who they are. Well, that happened to me this week. I ran into this family, and I could recognize their faces, but I couldn't remember what their names were or how I even knew them. And then, uh, finally, the the mom, the lady in the family, she looked at me, and she said, hey, uh, aren't you... And she's about to tell me how she knows me, okay? And she said, aren't you uh, Stephanie Decker's boyfriend, Right? And I was like, well, not anymore. Yeah, so I told her, she thinks we broke up, I guess, you know. But that's my wife, you know, I'm not her boyfriend, I'm her husband, you know. And then she said, yeah, and you're the pastor at that seven strands place, right? And I was like, well, we added some strands, I guess. I don't know, it's three strands, but it's okay. And I just thought, that's kind of innocent and cute, but like, people tend to label us all kinds of things. And in her head, she knew me as Stephanie's boyfriend, and the pastor is some made-up church; it doesn't even exist, right? And uh, people will call us all kinds of things. And the truth is, if you're being honest with yourself, that we all kind of buy into those things a lot. We hear those labels enough, and we start to internalize them. And we start to believe that's the real us. We start to believe that we really are those things that other people say about us. And and, and a lot of times, those labels revolve around our worst habits. Or our biggest mistakes, don't they? And, and you're all of a sudden, you didn't even know it, but all of a sudden, you're the town drunk. Or all of a sudden, you're the guy that can't hold down a relationship. All of a sudden, you're the angry man. Or, you know, you're the jerk. It's like, is that you? And we start to believe and we hear it enough and we say it to ourselves enough that it becomes our identity. It becomes the real us we see and we look in the mirror and that becomes the name that we start to call ourselves. But the truth is, the only one who has the right to name you is the one who made you. And that's what this series is all about. That you would start to look in the mirror, you would start to think about yourself, you would start to see you the same way that God sees you. Is that possible? Is it even possible for me to see myself like God sees me? Or am I so hung up on the names I've been given by other people, on the identity that I've built in my own mind? Have I completely lost any grip on what God would say is true about me? That's really what this series is about. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to come back to this question in the next several weeks. So I hope you'll join us and and kind of get the whole entire four-week-long sermon. But here's the question, you ready? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? What do you think? If you're a note taker, jot that down and answer it. If you're writing notes, if you're typing them in your phone, answer it. If you're not, if you're not a note taker, just answer it in your head for a second. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Be honest. Nobody's going to look at your answers. Nobody's going to ask you about it afterwards. Just what do you think he thinks about when he thinks about you? So what I want to do today is I want to give you the best I could figure, the best I could study, the best I could find I want to give you what I think are the filters that we look at ourselves through to determine who we are. The filters we use to see ourselves, okay? So here's the first one. I called it the personal filter. The personal filter. Now the personal filter is related to all my thinking, the way I think inside, right? And so I start to develop kind of this attitude or this mindset and 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 the way I think is going to dictate the way I live, right? Because because the truth is that what we believe or what we think on the inside drives our behavior on the outside, good or bad, either way. It's like I'm, I'm always going to act consistently with the way I think inside, okay? And so we start to think about ourselves in a certain way. Other to, often other people even see our behaviors, and they think to themselves, like, that isn't going to fix their problem. Have you ever had somebody in your life like that? Like you see them doing something kind of wacko, you're thinking like, that's not going to fix their problem, but to us, we think it will fix our problem because our thinking gets skewed, right? Let me give you some examples, right? You're struggling with your marriage. You want your marriage to be better, but you're having a really tough time in your marriage, and you decide the way to fix that will be head on down to the bar every Friday night and get wasted, and everybody else looking at your life is thinking like, that, that is what it is, but like, I didn't going to fix your marriage, right? But somehow in our head, we think that's the right thing to do. Right? It's like uh, I'm broke and I got no money. And you're like, well, I'd like to not be broke anymore. I know what I'll do. I'll go buy seven lottery tickets. And everybody else in your life is like, that is not the answer, dude. But you kind of think that makes real good sense up here. Our thinking, it gets kind of skewed. We start to believe that God looks at us just like we think about ourselves the personal filter. I'm messed up and I'm skewed, but I think it all makes sense in my head. So when God looks at me, he must think the same things about me that I think. And so if I'm having a good day, then God's probably good with me. If I'm happy one day, then God must be happy with me. And if I'm sad, then God must think I'm a depressed loser. If I mess up and I sin and I do something I know I'm not supposed to do and I feel guilty, then I feel like God must surely be disappointed in me, right? Because God puts his view of me behind that filter of what I think about myself. And somehow, we link the way we think about ourselves with the way God thinks about us. Is that true? Think about it just for a second. You're having a really, really great day. Your your thoughts are in a good space. You've had a wonderful time with family or friends. You've had a great day at work. You've had lots of fun on vacation. You're not sitting around thinking like, God thinks I'm a loser. God can't stand me. But those days when like on the inside, it's just gnawing at you. It's eating at you. You're thinking, I'm a screw up. I don't do anything right. I don't even think the right way. I'm not even worthy to be loved by anyone. On those days, you start to think, God must also think I'm not real worthy. Right? Right? personal filter. Here's the second filter, the other's filter. Now the other's filter, it's related to my behavior. And kind of we learned this from a very young age, right? That my behavior dictates a lot of my relationships. And, and the way I act determines how people are going to treat me or interact with me. It, it determines the way other people are going to think about me. And so other time, and, and a lot of times our behavior is what determines who will even be our friends, right? If somebody's just a real jerk, you're probably not going to be their friend. If somebody's always stabbing you in the back, you're probably not going to want to spend a lot of time around them, right? And so it's like our friendships, our relationships, maybe you um, experience this yourself. It's like you, you get into a job, and the quality of your relationship with your boss can determine whether or not you even keep a job. And almost all the time, that is based or judged on behavior, the way you act, Right? I can count on that employee. They're on time, they work hard, they're honest. That guy is always late. He's a slacker, can't trust him for anything. I'm looking for a way to get rid of that guy. And so the way people view us is based on the way we behave. So we start to think the same thing about God. If enough people approve of me, if enough people like the things I do, if enough people laugh at what I say or encourage me for the effort I give, then I start to think God too must be okay with me. He must also approve of me. But if it feels like everybody thinks I'm a jerk and everybody's turned their back on me and everybody's criticizing everything I do, then God too must be sitting in heaven thinking like, what a screw up. What a goof. And so my opinion of what God thinks of me is linked to what everybody else thinks of me and my behavior. Here's the third filter. You ready? The world's filter. The world's filter. The world's filter is related to my performance. It's not just about my behavior. It's about the results. It's about my accomplishments. See, the world is screaming at us to link our value up to how the results play out. If I've got a lot of money then I must be a wise, successful person. If I've been in my marriage for a really long time, then I must be a really good husband. Maybe, maybe she's just a really patient wife. But we link our view of ourselves to how much we can accomplish. If I perform well, then I'm loved well. Maybe for some of you, that's the relationship you had growing up with your parents. That you only got encouragement from them or they only seem to approve of you when you did a good job at the things they seem to deem worthy of approval. Maybe it created in your family a sibling rivalry, or maybe you became the kind of spouse that got super competitive about your parenting, always trying to be the better parent than the other one, and rubbing it all in the other one's face. And everything in your life has turned into a competition where you have to achieve the highest level of everything, because that's the only way that everybody will approve of you. And as long as you get to those levels, then God, too, must approve of you. And so your view of God gets linked to your accomplishments. You're like, God can't be very proud of me. Look at me. I'm not the pastor of a church. I'm not running my own business. I'm not, I don't even, I'm not even married yet. I don't have any. I've been divorced three times. My kids are disrespectful. And everything you've tried to do in life has gone kind of like cockeyed or flipped upside down on you. And you're like, man, God must also think I'm no good. And I'm just asking you today, is this true or not? Do we look at ourselves like that? Do we look at ourselves and determine that the real us is whatever we think it is? And so some days it's a good us, and some days it's a bad us, and some days it's a worthy us, and some days it's a despicable, unworthy us, and it's always up and down. Is it true or is it not true that that we link our view of ourselves and what we think God thinks of us to the way we behave? Is it true or is it not true that we tend to link our value and our worth to our achievements and our accomplishments? It's a hard way to live. Here's the thing. I don't know if I think I put all three of them in there. Did I put all three of those in there? These three things, they all have one word in common. I'm going to give it to you. If you're a note taker, it won't be real hard to write down. It's just two letters, okay? These three things have one word in common. It's the word do. They all revolve around what I do. They all revolve around me and what I do with my life. Now, we'll we'll come back to that in just a second, but think about it for a second. If I'm doing the right things, I'll think the right things. If I'm executing my life the right way and living out my five-year plan, then things will fall into place and I'll start to think the right way about myself. If I do what is right, God loves me. If I do what is wrong, He doesn't love me. But what if that's not true? What if your thinking and your behavior and your accomplishments don't have anything to do with what God thinks when he thinks about you? What if God loves you way more than you love you? And what if God loves you way more than they love you? And what if God loves you way more than you think he loves you? See, the problem we've got is a perspective problem. And I want you to know that what this series is going to be about, what we're going to teach and, and kind of show in God's Word over the next three weeks after today, is that you're just one change of perspective away from the successful life God planned for you. That you're just one change or one shift in perspective away from reaching your full potential. How about that? If it was that easy? It is. Okay. So let me give you the fourth filter. You ready? Here's the fourth filter. The only one that really works. The only one that helps you see what God actually sees when he thinks about you or what he thinks when he thinks about you. You ready? I call it the God filter. Now the God filter isn't based on my thinking or it isn't related to my behavior and it doesn't have anything to do with my accomplishments. The God filter is related to Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, when he thinks about me, when he thinks about you, come on now, this is hard to hear, and you may not believe it at first, but what he sees is all the beauty and the goodness and the perfection of Jesus. That's the God filter. I put that filter up to my life, and no matter how I feel or what I've done or what somebody else tells me, I look at myself and I'm like, no, God sees me as beautiful and perfect and loved. The God filter. It's a shift in perspective. It's a change in the way I think and a change in what I value. I want to prove it to you. Let me show it to you in God's word, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen to this verse. For God made Jesus Christ, who never sinned, to become sin itself on our behalf, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In Galatians chapter 13, verse 3, Paul writes this, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, He, the Messiah, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, not just you, not just the ones who feel the dirtiest, all of us have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, the Lord laid on Him, the Messiah, the sins of us all. Now, I could read you a 100 passages from the Bible that teach this same idea. It's a theological principle called imputation, all right? Imputation is just a fancy word that just means the transfer of something to somebody else. Just a transfer. And what really happened on the cross, maybe you've heard that Jesus died on the cross before, what really happened on the cross when Jesus died was that God took all of my shame in all of my sins, in all of my failures, in all of my skewed thinking, and he transferred it all to Jesus. And he says to me, if you will receive my plan instead of rejecting my plan, I in turn will take all of Jesus's beauty and goodness and righteousness and perfection and transfer it to you. Imputation, Right? And we could read about it forever in God's word. And so when God looks at me, he no longer sees my failures or my behaviors or my messed up thoughts. What he sees is Jesus' willingness to obey. Jesus' commitment to die for others. Jesus' life of perfection and beauty and kindness and goodness. That's the God filter. It's what God thinks about when he thinks about me. How do I know it? How do I know that's what God thinks? Because he told me. Wait, wait. And he didn't just tell me, he showed me. I'm going to show you in just a second, okay? He told us and he showed us. He proclaimed it and he proved it. Can I show you here? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Look what it says. So now, there is no condemnation. It's just a big word that means judgment for doing the wrong thing. You ready? There is no punishment or judgment for doing the wrong thing. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Do you get it? What happened at the cross was God took everything I am and put it on top of Jesus and the cross covers all of it. He took everything Jesus is and he put it on me and now when he looks at me, all he sees is Jesus. At the cross, God treated Jesus like he was David so that he could treat David like he was Jesus. Do you get it? That's what God thinks about when he thinks about us. That's what God's thinking when he looks at you. Oh, there's one of my kids. I want them. Receive my plan. I want you. I want to give you everything Jesus has been. Do you get it? Here's that word again. You ready? Do. See, here's our problem. We got this idea in our heads that everything I do is how God values me. That everything I accomplish and think about and And live out each day. That's what God thinks. But but we're skewed. We think wrong. Maybe we think wrong because somebody told us the wrong thing so many times. Maybe we think wrong because our own heart just can't accept the fact that God would care about me. Maybe we think wrong because nobody ever told us the truth. That God really loves us and thinks this way about us. But all I know is we started to write down in our head what God values about us. Maybe long ago when you were a kid, maybe just recently, I don't know. But we started to write down what God thinks about when he thinks about us. And we started writing the letter D. And we started writing the letter O. We looked at it like, dude, that makes sense. God thinks of me based on what I do. And we just stopped writing. And we just concluded that God judges me and thinks about me and loves me or loves me not based on what I do. But we just didn't get the whole picture. You just needed to keep writing because there were two more letters. God doesn't love you or think about you or judge you based on what you do. He does all of that. He views you based on what Jesus has done. You're just missing half the picture. You're just missing a couple letters. If we had just kept writing instead of believing the lies that other people tell us about ourselves, instead of believing the lies that we feel inside about ourselves, instead of believing some made-up fairy tale that God never said, we'd have written the whole word and realized that God views us based on what Jesus has done. So can I give you three things? There are a 100 probably, maybe 150, I don't know. There are tons of things that God has said are true about you. Can I just give you three of them this morning? Here's the first one, you ready? He says, You are chosen. You are chosen. And I wrote them with I because I wanted you to write it down I. It's easy to believe maybe it's somebody else is chosen, but sometimes it's hard to believe God would really choose me. I am chosen. And the more chosen I feel, the less rejection matters. You understand that? The more chosen and special and unique I feel to somebody the less somebody else's rejection makes a difference in my heart. In fact, if I feel chosen and special and unique by God, rejection just becomes my reminder that there's somebody greater that loves me. It just reminds me inside that I have a a, a father who cares and loves me no matter what. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 9, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. That's the Holy Spirit. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Listen, I, if you missed everything else, can I just share this with you real quick? The word the Bible uses the most to describe what God feels when he thinks about you, the word the Bible uses the most to describe the emotion God has when he thinks about you is not hate, and it is not anger, and it's not disappointment. The word the Bible uses the most to describe, I I got it, you guys. Full service pastor today, full service. We're filling up your gas tank after church. The word that God uses the most often to describe how he feels when he thinks about you isn't any of those other words. It isn't anger, hate, disappointment. The word used most often in the Bible to describe how he feels about you is compassion. That God looks at you and he feels The pride and joy that a dad feels for his kid. That he looks at you and he feels the nurturing, safe love that a mom feels for their son or daughter. That he looks at you with unending, overwhelming, never failing, never changing his word, never turning his back, love. That's what God thinks of you. When I asked you earlier to make a mental note or to jot down in your notes, what do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? I wonder how many of us said, he just loves me like crazy. Or how many of us thought, he thinks I'm okay. He's probably a little disappointed in me sometimes, happy with me other times. I wonder what you said. I wonder what words you use because you are chosen by God to receive mercy. Here's the second thing I want to share with you that he says about you. He says, you are complete. Whew. I don't feel complete. I feel insecure. But my insecurities flow from feeling incomplete. As long as I try to be complete by puffing myself up on the inside or by performing on the outside, I'll always feel Insecure. But God looks at me and He says, you are complete, not because you earned it, not because you do the right things, but because I transferred the completeness to you from Jesus. My wholeness comes from believing the truth that God says, that I'm safe in His hand, that I am complete because of my connection with Jesus. Look at Colossians 2, starting in verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. What are we doing today? And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Did we just talk about that? I'm complete. I'm chosen. I'm complete. And I'm capable you are perfectly equipped to live the life God planned for you, fully capable of doing exactly what he wants you to do. You look around at everybody else and you think, I could never be like them. I could never proclaim the truth about God with that kind of confidence. I could never speak up in public with that kind of confidence. I could never be the kind of husband that guy is. I could never love my family like that lady does. I could never work as hard as that person do. Yes, you could. God made you capable of being exactly what he wants you to be. And anything else is a lie we think or a lie we've heard too often or some fairy tale we've just believed inside. How do I know it? Here's where he said it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, people are questioning Paul's ability and saying, hey, are you even good enough to preach the gospel? Listen to what he says. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. All of our qualifications come from God. You're qualified, you're capable, you're able to do what God wants you to do. I don't know what you think God thinks of you. But I know this. Psychology agrees pretty much universally that the way you view yourself, the value you put on your own life, your self-worth is determined almost exclusively by the way you believe the most important person in your life views you. So the best question we could ask you today is this. What will it take for you to decide to make God the most important person in your life? Because if you do, you will place all the value on yourself that he places on you. This is what happened at the cross. Jesus made a way by taking my place and dying instead of me, and then rising from the dead to prove that he had power over all my shame, all my sickness, all my sin, all my failures, all my messed up thinking, and not only that, but he had power over my death itself because he came back to life. And now God just looks at us and he says, I will transfer all of what Jesus is to you and I will take all of what you are and transfer it onto that cross. All you have to do is just receive what I'm offering, not reject it, not keep believing the lie, not keep beating yourself up, not keep living like you're a nobody, not keep uh, trying to do it all on your own and basing everything that God thinks about you on what you do, but instead believing that what Jesus did is enough for you. And by asking him to save you, and surrendering your life to him. I'm going to show it to you in just a second in God's word, but um, I forgot to bring my uh, Christian coin today. I have a Christian coin. It's real holy. I I don't know what that means, but so I have a Christian coin, but I forgot to bring it. But just imagine with me for a second, I'm holding up a coin. I shared this with our church, our last baptism service too, and if I was holding up a quarter or a 50 cent piece or something like that, nobody in the room would disagree that I was holding up one coin. But they would also not disagree if I said, hey, this coin has two sides, right? That's what being a Christian is. It's one coin. It's one moment in time. It's one point in history, one decision you make, but it's got two sides to it. Can I give you both sides? And I'll show them to you in God's word. The first side of the coin is salvation. It's I recognize I'm so messed up, I can't fix myself. And so I cry out to God, God, will you save me? Save me now and save me into eternity because I can't do it myself. And as long as I keep thinking I can do it myself, then God can't help me. But if I ask him to save me because of what Jesus did for me, he will save me. You got it? Salvation. But that's incomplete. The other side of the coin is surrender you got to drop everything you are and follow Jesus. And there is no such thing as salvation without surrender. And there is no such thing as Christian surrender without salvation. Do you understand? If you're asking God to save you, but you're not surrendering to him, then you think God is Santa Claus. That you just get to make a wish, and he makes all your dreams come true. That's not what God is. That makes you the God, actually. And and if you think you can just live a life of Christian surrender without recognizing that Jesus had to take your place and you need him to save you because you can't do it yourself, then you're just trying to get to heaven based on how good you can be. And both of those sides of the coin by themselves come back to, I believe all my value, all my worth, all my eternal destiny, all my success, all hinges on what I do, but both of them together, both of them together, prove that I can't do it, and what I need is what Jesus has done. Do you get it? It's super simple. I often tell people, it's like a Rubik's Cube. I can tell you how to do it in about 10 seconds, but it's really hard to like step out and do it, isn't it? It's hard to look God in the face, and be like, God, I can't figure this life out on my own. Will you save me? And it's hard to look God in the face and say, God, your son is worthy, and I will follow him whatever he tells me to do, whatever it costs me. It's hard. I get it. It takes courage. And that's why many people walked away from even Jesus, walked away sad, walked away refusing to, to surrender, walked away refusing to need his salvation. But here we are in this moment, And you might have come to see somebody get baptized today. You might have come because you come here every week. You might have come because a mom or dad made you come. You might have come because somebody guilted you into coming. We've had that before. That's okay. But God knew you were going to show up today. And I knew you were going to show up today. And whether you were planning to come today or not, we were planning for you to come. Because I'm that pumped up about what God's offering this world. And he wants to save you. And he wants you to surrender to him. He wants to take everything that Jesus has been and transfer it to your account. So the choice is yours today. You can become a Christian right now. You don't have to run down the aisle. You don't have to have me give you magic words to say. You don't have to have me smack you on the forehead and you fall over and shake or anything like that. None of that's in the Bible. All you need me to do is tell you the truth from God. And then you get to have a conversation with him and decide, do I want to receive it or do I want to reject it? Do I want to base everything I am and all of my hope for eternity on what I do or on what Jesus has done? And the choice is always yours. It's always yours. So we're going to close our service in just a second. And we're going to do things a little differently than than maybe you've seen at other baptism services before. But at our church, what we try to do is is during the time of baptism, we wanna take all the focus we can off of the people getting baptized. And I know you came to see them, it's all good, and I love them, but I don't want my baptism service, and if you're getting baptized today, I don't want your baptism service to become like a graduation party. I want it to be more than that. I want it to be a time where all of us come together and we celebrate the one who's actually saved these people. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna worship God while they get baptized. So let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to come up, they're going to get baptized, and baptism is just a symbol. It's just our way, according to God's word, of saying to everybody watching, I'm with Jesus, and I want everyone to know it. Make no mistake about it. I'm not going back to the old me. I'm the new me, because God has given me all that Jesus is. And so we come up and we get dunked underwater just to symbolize Jesus' act of surrender where he died, was buried, and was raised back to life. That's all it is. When we baptize people with three strands, we don't baptize anybody in the name of the preacher. We don't baptize anybody in the name of the church. We don't baptize anybody because their mom wanted them to. We only baptize people in the name of the Holy Spirit, the name of the Father, and the name of the Son. We only baptize people... In God's name. Do you get it? They're not pledging allegiance to me. They're not pledging allegiance to our church. They're pledging allegiance to the God of the universe. And you can join them. You get the chance to join them. We're not going to pre-qualify you. You decide to follow Jesus right now. Surrender your life to him. Ask God to save you. And you can come get baptized today too. It's warm, right? It's fairly clean, I mean, if you're one of the first ones, I guess I don't know. But we've gone out of our way to make a way for you to follow Jesus today. The only thing holding it up is the courage it'll take to walk in faith. That's it. You say, "I don't, I don't know if I can get in that water. I don't know if I can have enough courage." I'm going to pray for you in just a second to have courage. Okay? You say, "Well, I didn't bring a towel. I brought you a towel." Ready? You're like, I didn't bring clothes to change into. I brought you clothes to change into. There is nothing stopping you from following Jesus and being saved for all of eternity and receiving all that Jesus is and having God throw on you all of his compassion and love except for the courage it'll take to step out and do it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up, lead us in some worship so we can celebrate our great God who's saving people. And if you want to get baptized, you just get up out of your seat when I'm done praying, walk to the side, come down front, and we'll baptize you. You with me? Everybody understand what we're going to do? We're all on the same page. Let's get some people uh, following Jesus and let's celebrate it together. You ready? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for our willingness to celebrate the one true hero, Jesus Christ, and to not make celebrities out of our pastors to not make celebrities out of our deacons, to not not make celebrities out of our worship band members or our kids' teachers, but to keep our eyes fixed on your son, God. God, I pray right now, you would just shadow our room with your courage. That you would convince the seeker, the one who's sitting there right now, feeling ashamed of the way they've lived, feeling like there's no way God could choose them or no way God has made them capable or no way God could ever give them his compassion, that you would give them the courage it takes to simply say to you, I surrender everything I am. Please save me, I can't do it on my own. And in Jesus' name, save them, God. Let people experience what it feels like to have all of Jesus' perfection thrown onto us and all of the weight of our sin and our past and our struggles removed from us and not even seen by you anymore. Oh, it feels so free, God. Would you just bless people in this room with that freedom right now? Let us baptize as many today as have ears to hear the truth and receive it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.